0: You're listening to the Coastal Church Audio Podcast with Pastor Dave Coop. You know what? Easter is uh, not just for the church. If you're to watch the news, read the newspaper, you know, CNN or television broadcast will show you what's happening on the Via Della Rosa, what's happening in Jerusalem, what's happening in Rome, what's happening in all these different cities of the world and how Easter is being celebrated and, and it should be. The church should celebrate. That's why we're here this morning. Typically on an Easter Sunday morning, more people show up to church. I haven't gone to church for a while, but I'm gonna go on Easter Sunday morning. It's great. We should do that. But John three sixteen, you know the verse. God loved the world. He didn't just love this church. He loves the world. And Easter is for everybody. It's not just, it's not just a Christian celebration. Really, everybody should rejoice because he died for the world. He came for the world. And in that song, as they were singing, they're talking about the unseen thing inside of me. There's something unseen in you. We can't see it really from the outside, but there's something different that we have inside of us. And there's a world out there. That message of hope, that message of how Christ transformed my life, doesn't matter how desperate, how hurting, no matter where you are, how hopeless it is, there's something we have that we can give the world. And as we celebrate resurrection, as we celebrate Easter, I think the Lord would want us to remember what he said to the disciples before he left. He said, go and tell the world. He said to Mary, he said, go tell, go quickly and tell the disciples. I don't think the message has changed. I think he's still saying, go tell, go tell quickly that I'm alive. He is alive. He's risen. And there's a bunch of people that need to know that. And how will they know? Except you and I live it out unless they see the unseen thing that's inside of us. And we live it out. We talk about it. And we need to do that. This morning, we're going to talk about, do you know him? The gal in this song, she didn't know him. And the challenge was to let it be known. Do you know him? The story of the cross has got a lot of different characters in it. This morning, we'll just look at a few of them. And we'll talk about how they knew him. It parallels the way a lot of people know Jesus today. And so we'll talk about them. Your notes, you have in front of you, if you've got some notes. The first one is a pilot. Now, pilot... Most of us have heard about him because he was the Roman governor at the time. and He's the one that would try Jesus. The religious leaders brought Jesus to Pilate. They brought him there at night. This is after the garden, after the disciples, after Judas had denied him, after the Passover, the Last Supper, they bring Jesus before Pilate. And Pilate examines him. And Pilate declares very clearly, I find no fault in him. I, I think he's an innocent man. And yet they would cheer, crucify him, crucify him. And uh, he said, well, you know what? We have another criminal that we release a criminal every year for you. We could release Barabbas. But they said, no, we wanted Jesus. Pilate, I think, had a pretty good understanding that there was something special about Jesus. Whether or not he knew that he was the son of God, I don't know. But the Romans were pretty good on knowing what was happening in the territory that they governed. And they governed Palestine at that time. And they knew... They would have known that Jesus was having huge crowds. Anybody who gathers ten, fifteen thousand 15,000 people together on the hillside of Galilee, they would have known about it. The spies would have reported back and Pilate would have known about that situation. When Jesus was brought before him, he was a good read of character. He had read lots of people over his lifetime. He had examined a lot of people and he looked at Jesus and he knew this was no criminal. There was something about him. He wasn't a powerful man like he was in his opinion. He had a little empire that he ran. This was... A carpenter out of Nazareth and here he was, this empire that he had, that he ran. To be in Palestine, that was one of the toughest areas that Rome had to govern. Greece and other parts of the world were a lot easier to govern than Palestine was. It's always been a tough place to rule. It's still a tough place to rule today. The Romans had a challenge with it. Pilate was there. He was the governor over that place. Matthew 27, 24, it's there in your notes. It says, when Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere and that a riot was imminent, he took a basin of water, washed his hands, and full sight of the crowd saying, I'm washing my hands of responsibility for this man's death. From now on, it's on your hands, your judge and jury. And Pilate gives in to the crowd and he says, I'm washing my hands of this. I don't want any responsibility in this. I'm checking out. He's a crowd pleaser. Gives into the pressure of the crowd. He knew Jesus, but he doesn't know him as Savior. He doesn't know him as Lord. He doesn't know him as King. He's a governor. He's a CEO. He's a president. He's a big shot. He's got a position. If I surrender and follow Jesus, what will my friends think about me? What will others think about me? What will my workers think about me? What will my... What will they think about me at the Vancouver Club? Or what will they think of me about here? What will they think about at this club? What will they think about me? I'm a big shot. I don't know if I want to surrender and be called a Christian. I don't know if I want to be one of those who reads their Bible in public and says, I'm going to church this Sunday morning. I'm not going to golf. I'm not going to go on the boat. I'm not going to go there. I'm going to church. As a matter of fact, I'm going to church every Sunday from now on. Matter of fact, I'm going to prayer meetings. As a Matter of fact, I'm going to... I'm going to be there every time I can. I'm going to be in church. I don't know if I'm willing to do that because after all, I'm governor. I've arrived. I'm a big shot. So I don't know if I'm willing to give that up. Still in the world today, they know about Jesus. They took a look at it, but I don't know if I want to. I don't know if I want to do that. I don't know if I find no fault in him, but I don't know if I want to give into that. That's the attitude of the world today. A large part is they don't have a problem with Jesus. A bigger problem with the church. Listen to the news today. You can pick it up pretty easy. You can read a paper, watch the news. It's the church. It's the leaders they have a problem with. But Jesus as a whole, we don't have a problem with. We've got a lot of problem with the church. And who can blame me? There's a lot of things we could criticize about the church. You can criticize things about this church. you haven't been visiting this morning, think, man, I'm looking for the perfect church. I hope this is the one. You're not in it. You may just keep looking because we're not it. And when you arrive, it's no longer perfect. Just have you know <laughs> because there isn't one there's just no perfect church and you'll always find something to criticize it's just the way of it but jesus now that's a different story you won't find any fault in him Pilate had his wife tell him she was warned in a dream there was something special about him god was speaking but Pilate said you know what no uh i i want i wash my hands of this responsibility that was Pilate's response he was there he was part of the story and we saw that same response today he knew him but he didn't know him as king He knew he was innocent, but he didn't bow his knee to him. Caiaphas was there. Caiaphas is a work. He's a piece. He's a character, Caiaphas. Religious, super religious. Caiaphas, religious dude, controls people. And when people have more influence and more control than he does, he gets nervous. And he's been the religious high priest for 12 years. And as far as he's concerned, he is the only show in town. And nobody else should have anybody following them. And along comes Jesus. He's this carpenter out of Nazareth, blue collar. Here he is, educated, well-informed, and somebody else is rising to a position of power. Now, for the most part, he could deal with it, but he really had a problem when Lazarus was raised from the dead. At that point, Caiaphas says, okay, I don't know what else to do except to kill this guy. And literally, here's this leader. He's a high priest, and he is plotting to murder the Lord Jesus Christ. You can read about it in John chapter 11, verse 53. I put it there in your notes. Then from that day on, they plotted to put him to death. He saw Jesus as a threat to his life. That's still true today. Some people say Jesus as a threat. They'll do anything to undermine him, to to criticize him. They'll try to uh, take his story, find fault in it, pick it apart, skew it, because they're threatened by Jesus, by the influence that he has. This was Caiaphas. In Matthew 27, verse 18, when Pilate was trying him, we read that Pilate knew very well that Jewish leaders had arrested Jesus out of envy. They were envious of his position, of his influence. And Caiaphas would bring Jesus to Pilate to be tried, and we know that he was behind this. And then later on, after Jesus was raised from the dead, he would pay off the soldiers and say, please, please. Go and tell everybody the body was stolen and just lie about it. I'll pay you to lie about it. Don't worry what the Roman soldiers will do to you. I'll cover that too. I'll pay them off too. And he does this. Then later on, his his troubles aren't over because Peter and John, they take the man who was blind for 40 or lame for 40 years and they raise him up in Acts chapter 3. Guess who they're brought in front of? They're brought in front of Caiaphas. Caiaphas, oh my goodness. First it was Lazarus and Jesus, empty grave. And now I got these guys and they're doing the same thing Jesus did. When are our problems ever going to stop? And so you're just better off surrendering to Jesus. He had plenty of evidence that Jesus was Lord and was king. He knew him, but he didn't ever know him as Lord and king. So he was in the story. Another person in the story is a Roman centurion. The Romans were there. Now to be a Roman centurion in that area... You're a veteran of war. These Roman soldiers, they were used to fighting. They're fighting machines. They were trained to kill. They did a lot of killing. They would be crucifying people at least on a weekly basis. They were used to putting people to death. They were used to fighting. They were trained to fight, trained to kill. If you could go back in time you could take that roman centurion and say roman centurion we're going to take you to the year 2010 there's a little event that we got going on in north america called the ufc it's a little fighting thing they put people in cage and they and they fight we're going to just put you in there and see how you do if he was in that cage and the ufc fighter the champion got in he'd take one look at that roman centurion and say i am out of here thank you very much i think i'll just i'll pass because there was a tenacity about them. They were trained to fight. They were taught to be a gladiator since they were a child. They were just, they were amazing. Uh, they, were, they were men of war. That's all they knew. They were literally raised and trained and bred for war, these men. And he was as hard as you're going to get. He was a hardened soldier. had seen death. He, he, was, he, he was not moved. He was serving in this country. They said they had a God. And to him it was a big deal. You got a God. If your God was worth anything, we wouldn't be here, and we wouldn't be ruling you. But we rule you when we tell you to walk another mile with us. You walk another mile with us. We rule this place. We know you don't like it, but we rule it. We're pantheists. We believe in all kinds of gods. We believe in Venus, the goddess of love. We believe in Mars. We believe in Jupiter. We believe in these different. We believe in Neptune, the god of the sea. We believe in these different gods. And you got a god, so what? There's lots of gods. If your God had any strength, we wouldn't be here. And so his soldiers were the one that took Jesus, and they put. A purple robe on him, put the crown of thorns on his head, gave him a reed as a staff, and then they mocked him. Oh, King of the Jews, King of the Jews. They mocked him. They took that same reed and they pounded the thorn crown into his skull. They spat on him. He'd been whipped, he'd been beaten, really beyond recognition. And they threw him a heavy cross and said, you carry this up to the place of your crucifixion. When Jesus collapsed because his body was spent, they got Simon and Serene to carry the cross for him. they laid him on that timber and they took, pounded the nails into his hands, pounded the nails into his feet, raised him up, lowered that cross into that hole with a thud that his whole body would shake. And then they mocked him. Oh, you're the king. You're the king of the Jews. Oh, you're a king. Come down, save yourself. And they mocked him. This is a soldier. He'd seen many people crucified. But something happens. It's recorded in history to this Roman soldier. Matthew 27:54. it's there in your notes. The captain of the guard, this hardened Roman centurion, and those with him. When they saw the earthquake and everything else, if you like, circle everything else, everything else that was happening, look at this. They were scared to death. I'm not talking about some wuss. I'm not talking about some over, some little, you know, guy that you could just easily scare. He had faced fear many times and hadn't backed down. This man, this Roman soldier is scared to death. He, he knew fear. He'd faced all kinds of wars. He'd faced all kinds of difficulties. He he led his men. He was the toughest in the bunch. Him and his guys, they're all afraid. They're scared to death. Why would they be afraid? Because they saw something that day. They saw, first of all, a man. They crucified a thief on either side. Then they crucified the thieves and they crucified the criminals when they crucified people. They would swear at those Roman soldiers. They'd curse those Roman soldiers. They'd spit in their face. They'd do anything they could. They would get back at them. On the cross when they died, when they were in agony, they would scream. They would, it was a horrible death. It was everything vile that could come out of a mouth, came out of a mouth when you crucified them. And now hanging on this cross was this Jewish carpenter, this man from Galilee. And he hung there between two thieves. But he wasn't cursing. He wasn't swearing in gentle words. He looked at that Roman centurion and he said, Father, I forgive them. They don't know what they do. He prayed for those who despitefully used him. This hardened Roman soldier could look up the cross and say, that's no criminal. I don't know what we have up there, but that's not a criminal. He looked at his friends. He looked at his fellow soldiers and said, this man's different. We've, We've crucified a lot of men. This is no criminal. This guy's different. Then they saw him on the cross, and they looked down, and he looked at one of the disciples, the only disciple that was there, John, and he said, John, take my mom, take care of her. No other criminal did that. No other criminal think thinking about his mother at that time, but Jesus was doing it. Then the sky went dark at midday. They said, well, that was an eclipse. It wasn't an eclipse. Eclipses don't last for three hours. The Chaldeans have been watching the eclipses since 2200 B.C., and there's no recorded eclipse at that time. But all creation moaned. All creation suffered. All creation knew something was happening. For three hours, it was pitch black. You couldn't see your hand in front of your face. They saw him on the cross, and then they didn't see him on the cross. It was dark. It was pitch black for three hours. While they were standing there, the earth began to shake. Now this big, tough Roman soldier, he's not so tough anymore. He said, what is going on? something has changed. This man was no ordinary man. The sky is dark. The earth is shaking. And then a report comes to him that something's happening in Jerusalem. Something's happening. What's happened? The temple, the temple, the the, the veil has been torn in two. What? He turns to somebody else. How could that be possible? I don't know. Could a human do it? No, no human could do it. The temple, the, the curtain has been torn in two. That's so significant. What happened there? Then he gets reports. The graves are opening up. People coming out of their graves. He's going... Okay, this is freaky. What's happening? And he turns and he says, This has to be the Son of God. He didn't say, This this is a Son of God. This must be a Son of God. No, no, no. He's a pantheist. He believes in all kinds of gods. This this Roman, though, he says, This is the Son of God. That hardened Roman soldier, he knew him. But he knew him as a Son of God. God spoke to Pilate through dreams and different things. He was speaking through Caiaphas, through the Scriptures, and... But he also spoke to this Roman soldier through some signs and wonders. He was getting his attention. He spoke to the thief on the cross beside him. This thief knew him. The other thief had an opportunity, the same opportunity. They were hopeless. They had no rights, really. But in Luke 23, it's there in your notes, verse 39 to 43. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. Prove it. He said, are you the Messiah? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, Don't you fear God? Even when you're dying, we deserve to die for our evil deeds. But this man has done nothing, done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you'll be with me in paradise. I bet those words, at that moment, when you're dying, when you're in agony, I think from that moment on, That thief on the cross didn't have near the pain that he did. I think at that moment, a peace would have swept through that thief. He said, man, my life is a waste, but everything's going to be okay. Now, if going to paradise to heaven was based upon doing good things, I mean, that guy stood zero chance. He could not say, hey, Roman soldier, I'd really like to go to paradise. Could you get me off here just for one good deed? I'll go back up here. He couldn't do that. But we're not saved by our works. We're saved by grace. We're saved by calling upon the name of Jesus. Romans chapter 10, 13 says, Whosoever, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's no other name under heaven except one name. That is the name of Jesus by which man can be saved. Whosoever shall call upon the name of Jesus shall be saved. So I don't know if I want to call on the name of Jesus. I like to make my own religion. Thank you very much. Well, you're a lot like Caiaphas. Caiaphas wanted to make his own religion. Jesus really didn't suit it. I'll have a little bit of this teacher. I'll have a little bit of that. Yeah, I like Jesus. I'll have a little bit of him. And I'll make my own religion. Thank you very much. Well, you'll never know Jesus then. You'll know that he was a great teacher. You'll know a little about him. But you won't know him. You won't experience him. You won't really get to know him as your friend. You can't put Jesus into a box, your religious box. When Jesus is your king and Jesus is your Lord, to know him, then you surrender and you say, Lord, I give my life to you. Mm. I can hear somebody say, well, how could something 2,000 years ago help me today? The year preacher is 2010, how could something that happened 2,000 years ago really have any effect on me today? I'm not sure I really need something to happen 2,000 years ago. It's the year 2010. What could it affect? There's been a lot of technology. There's been a lot of knowledge. There's been a lot of things that happened since then. What could that, hap- what could that possibly do to help me today? Let me give you a little comparison that helped me. I don't know if this applies to you, but maybe you've been to a dentist. Or maybe you've been to, for an operation. And if you go for a root canal or you go to the dentist... You don't really like it when he brings out the needle. You see that needle and you go, you just quinge just a little bit and you go, ooh, there's, there's a little poke coming. But it really doesn't last long. Before long, you got some freezing and he goes ahead and he drills and, and digs and, and you don't really like the sound of it. But at least you're not feeling any pain, right? Or you go for an operation. Maybe you got a, uh, you know, I had a, a tonsil operation when I was a child. I had a knee operation and, and they put me under for those operations. And I was really glad that I didn't feel the pain. My problem was pain. But I didn't argue with the fact that years ago, there was a fellow. I didn't say, you know, I don't know if I I really want any anesthetic. It's not for me because that came years ago. 150 years ago, there was a guy by the name of Sir James Young Simpson. and He discovered chloroform, and he found out that if he put people under with chloroform, he could perform that operation that'd feel no pain. That was over 150 years ago, and if we go for an operation today, we don't argue. Say, "Oh, I don't know if that's for me today." That was discovered a long time ago. I think that I don't know if he was thinking about me, so I'm not sure I'm going to have that. We just say, "Yeah, put me under. I don't want to feel the pain." Now we have another problem. We have a sin problem, and that sin problem, the solution for the answer for that was not 150 years ago. That was 2,000 years ago when Jesus came. And he took our sin problem away by receiving our sin. He just didn't die with sinners between two thieves. He died for sinners. Who else was there that day? We had the disciple John there that day. We've mentioned him because he was there and Jesus looked down from the cross and he pointed to his mother. And he said, take care of my mom. Take care of this woman. That's pretty significant because John is the only disciple that's there at the cross. And Jesus would look down and say, I would like you to take care of him. His mom was there too, by the way. John's mom was there. Jesus' mother was there. Mary Magdalene, the women were there. John was the only disciple. We know him as a disciple that Jesus loved. You have John 19, 26 and 27. You know, it's when Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved. He said to her, woman, he is your son. And he said to the disciple, she is your mother. And from then on, the disciple took her into his home. It's a pretty big deal because John's the youngest of the disciples. He's the Benjamin of the group, the youngest. Historians tell us he's likely still a teenager, maybe in his early 20s. And you're given the responsibility of Jesus' mother. But he trusts his mom to him. Here's John, the one who was he sat beside him at the Last Supper. John, I tell you, John knew Jesus. As king and Lord, but he knew him as friend. If you don't get anything else out of this Easter Sunday morning message, I want you to know that you can know him as a friend. He can be your king, Lord, Savior. He can be the son of God, all those things. But he also can be your friend. He stands at the door he knocks. Says, if you, if you want to, open the door. Let me come in. Let me dine with you. You can dine with me. That sounds like a friend to me. That sounds like somebody just wants to be in my life and hang out with me. See, is that possible? Absolutely. John knew him. We could know Jesus as a friend. I wonder this morning, do you know him? Do you know him as a friend? John knew him as a friend. John lived to be almost 100 years of age. He's the only disciple, you know, that wasn't martyred. Everybody else was martyred, but not John. They tried to kill him. Fox's Book of Martyrs says they, they put him into this vat of boiling oil, and they couldn't kill him in the vat of boiling oil. It's not written in there, but I can just imagine John coming out of that vat of boiling oil and saying, guys, I keep telling you I love one another because he's a great disciple of love. They threw him off the pinnacle where Jesus was tempted by Satan. They threw him off of there. He landed on the ground on his knees. It didn't kill him. I think he just got up and kept saying, guys, I keep telling you you y'all love one another. They couldn't kill him. They tried to kill him. They, he didn't die. So they said, we're going to put you on the island of Patmos. And he had to work in a stone quarry as an old man. But as an old man in that stone quarry, God spoke to him. And we have the book of Revelation because of it. This is John. John knew him as a friend. Part of our story, part of our resurrection story is John. He played a big role. Another lady there is Mary Magdalene. She knew him as her deliverer. And she was the first one to meet him after the resurrection. In John 19, verse 25, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, And Mary Magdalene. Why was Mary there? What would cause a woman to watch somebody be executed? Most women would be pretty squeamish. We we, who'd want to see that? Who'd want to witness that? Why would Mary be there? Stand there and to watch us. Because she had this incredible love for Jesus. A pure love for him. She had been two years earlier set free by demonic power, from demonic power by Jesus. See, medicine won't help you if you have devils tormenting you. You can take medicine. It'll numb some of the symptoms. But there's only one that'll set you free from demonic power harassing your life, and that's Jesus. And two years earlier, Jesus set her free. No more tormenting thoughts, no more nightmares, no more harassment. Because Jesus said, I've come to set the captive free. He said, in my name you shall cast out devils. And when Jesus sets you free from powers of darkness, you really don't care what other people think. You're just going to follow Jesus. When I was 16, I remember lying in my bed one night. I'd done some stupid things and I just had opened the door for the enemy to come into my life. I remember lying in my bed as a 16-year-old boy. and My body began to shake. I was tormented by evil spirits. I didn't know what it was. I just began to shake. I talked to my dad about my problems sometime before, but I really had just kept it myself. It got worse and worse. I was thinking about committing suicide. And I just, my dad had left to study he was going upstairs. He walked by my door. I said, Dad, would you pray for me? And he came in the room, and I began to shake. And I just remember him crying. He cried out, Norma, come quickly. Norma was my mom, is my mom's name. He said, Norma, come quickly. And my mom came down in the room. I just remember them saying, leave him alone in Jesus' name. And when they said Jesus' name, It was like a knife went through the air. And all that darkness, all the hideous thoughts that were coming against my mind, it left. And I felt so free, I felt so fresh. And I woke up in the morning, I thought, is it still going to be there? So, I will follow Jesus all my life. He set me free. Do you know Jesus? Jesus. Do you know him? Mary Magdalene knew him. Look at John chapter. If you have your Bibles, John chapter 20. We'll read her story. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. And he said, she said to them, she was there first. It's dark. It's cold. It's She's, she's a woman set free. To go into a graveyard at dark after seeing what she saw, this woman has been set free from fear. And she said to them, they have taken away the Lord of the tomb, and we do not know where they've laid him. Peter therefore went out, and the other disciple were going to the tomb. So they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter. That other disciple's is John. He's writing the book. He's not talking about himself. He doesn't want to brag because he outruns Peter, and he comes to the tomb first. And he stooped down looking in, saw the linen clothes lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him, and he went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there. And the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first, that's John, went in also, and he saw, and he believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes, but Mary... But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head, at the other the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to him, Because they've taken away my Lord. I don't know where they've laid him. Now when she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She supposing him to be the gardener said to him, Sir, if you carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary! Exclamation mark. Mary. Can you hear how warm that word is? Can you hear how love that, loving that word is? He just says one name. Mary. He calls you by name. What's your name? He calls you by name. David. Mary. Peter. Sally. Slava, Joseph, calls you by name. Very endearing. Just one word, Mary. And she turned and she said to him, Rabboni, teacher. She must have hugged him because Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But I go to my brethren and I say to them, go to my brethren and say to them, I'm ascending to my father and your father, my God and your God. Because of the resurrection of Christ, we get to call God our Father. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she'd seen the Lord and that He had spoken these things to her. Mary Magdalene knew Him as a deliverer. She knew Him as a one who is Lord and Savior. I wonder this morning, do you know Him? There's a great preacher by the name of... He's since gone to be with the Lord. He pastored a church in San Diego from 1953 to 1993. For 40 years, he pastored Calvary Baptist Church. He was called the Prince of Preachers because he could communicate about Jesus so well. He asked a question one of his classic messages. He said, I wonder, do you know him? I'm going to play this before we wrap up this morning's message. I wonder, do you know him? Listen to this before we close this morning. The Bible says
1: my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings, and he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I I wonder, do you know him? (laughs) My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's unparalleled, he's unprecedented, he is the loftiest idea in literature, he's the highest personality in philosophy, he's the fundamental doctrine of true theology, he's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today, he supplies strength for the weak, he's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captive. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. Couldn't kill him, death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. Amen.
0: Amen. That's my king. That's my king. That's my king. That's my king. king. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like to download free notes from this message, then visit our website,
1: www.coastalchurch.org.